Welcome to the Ipsos Politics Talk podcast with me, your host, Kieran Pedley. Well, we haven't been with you for a couple of weeks, and it looks like just about everything that has happened uh, or can happen in politics has happened in the last couple of weeks. We've had a reshuffle, including the return of a former prime minister. There are more internal conservative rows as the, we enter the business end of this parliament and the long run up to the next general election. The conservatives are arguing over strategy and policy again, but at the moment it feels like it might be getting that just that little bit more serious as election time closes, uh, closes in. And we've also got the autumn statement coming this week as well, um, a budget of sorts which again is going to be very important as each of the parties frame their messaging ahead of that election. And as ever, to join me to talk over some of the numbers, I'm joined by my colleagues Holly Day and Cameron Garrett. Hello to you both. Hi, Cameron. Hi, Cameron. Um, we'll try not to confuse uh, references to Cameron with our Cameron, um, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do our best. I'm happy to be Foreign Secretary. That's, that's very... That's very big of you. Um, move swiftly on from that. Um, so I guess I'll come to you first, both in turn, about what stood out for you, really. And there's so much. I'll come to you, Holly, first. Like, there's so much, really, isn't there, that's gone on. Um, what stands out for you? Yeah, we've had quite a busy couple of weeks in Ipsos Towers. Um, it never ceases to amaze me that when these things happen, they tend to come in twos or threes. Um, for me, what stood out, and I know we're going to come on to talk about the return of David Cameron, was the fact that I was quite surprised about that. And I think um, in the media in general, it seemed like a bit of a shock. Um, we know throughout the last few parliaments, it's been uh, it's been quite leaky, these sorts of things. We tend to get a bit of advance warning of. That one came absolutely out of the blue for us, gave us an opportunity to do some great polling, which we're going to talk you through. Um, but the churn at the top of government, I think, and the way in which that's going to influence the strategy, particularly leading into the autumn statement over the next couple of days, um, is what is what I think I found most interesting. And Cameron, what about you? Were you shocked at the return of Cameron? Cameron, <laughs> definitely. I think everyone was. <laughs> um, I was walking into work and I had some friends texting me saying, "What did I think would happen in a reshuffle?" And I was saying, "Well, I hear Gove wants a great office office of state. Like, we'll see how it plays out." Next thing I know, David Cameron pulls up, and there's that great Kay Burley clip, isn't there, of her being like, "David Cameron." Um, <laughs> Yeah, how amazing, astounding. What a comeback. Um, didn't know, I don't think anyone saw it coming. But what I think was interesting, actually, is I think lots of the media fixated on that quite interestingly. But when we were sharing our polling on Twitter, stuff about Suella Braverman was getting shared much more widely. I think, obviously, Twitter's not the real world, etc. But I think it was interesting to see, actually, that's what the public were kind of caring about and debating about during mm. the reshuffle last week. Yeah, I think with David Cameron, it, um, and I must say I was relieved when I sort of saw a message from a colleague saying, did you hear about Cameron? And I was glad that it hadn't you hadn't resigned or sort of um, <laughs> tra tragically killed in a polling accident or something like that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I say the nicest things to my colleagues, clearly. Um, no, but I think the thing that strikes me about something like that is that it's clearly going to cut through, as in the public will notice because he's obviously a high profile person. Uh, being a former prime minister, but of course, cut through doesn't necessarily mean it's going to have an impact on on on, on, the, on the headlines. Um, the Suella Braverman and uh, sort of ongoing row over Rwanda, uh, the Rwanda policy, if we can call it that, is particularly significant for lots of reasons. I think one of them is around the future of the Tory Party, possibly post an election defeat. Although I don't think we should quite assume that 
just yet, as much as it looks like it's that's what's coming. Um, but the other is about the more substantive policy area of immigration, in this case, asylum policy and small boats, which we know is something of critical importance to 2019 Conservative voters. Um, so you know, on, on our Ipsos Issues Index, which we do every month where we ask people, what are the most important issues in your own words? And then we sort of code them up into themes. Issues of immigration and asylum are around number four overall, I think it is. But for 2019, for the Conservative supporters, they're effectively top or if you're being sort of strict to your, your sort of statistical ethics, as it were, it's joint top with margin of error and all the rest of it. But in many ways, that semantics doesn't matter. The point is, it's very, very important to that group. And so uh, what you've what you've had this parliament is the Conservatives perennially sort of raising expectations on this topic and not necessarily delivering on them. And I think that this row over Swella Braverman's future is kind of another chapter in, in, in that. But Cameron, we had some sort of flash polling, overnight polling in, in response to her sacking um, and obviously Cameron, David Cameron's appointment and some other things around his government and the performance of the Sunak government and so on. Could you take us through some of those findings and what we kind of found out from that? Yep, of course. So we did some snap polling on some of the key decisions that Rishi Sunak made in his reshuffle um, and the public, 70% of them um, said that it was the right decision to remove Suella Braverman as Home Secretary. Just 17% said it was the wrong decision. So quite decisively saying, tick there, made the right decision. Um, on David Cameron making him the Foreign Secretary, we had more split. We had a third saying it was the right decision, 35%, against 46% saying it was the wrong decision. So leaning negative. Um, and then throughout all the manoeuvres of politics and everything that was happening, by the end of it, we had the majority saying that they saw Rishi Sunak as a weak leader, 55%, compared to 22% saying a strong leader. So that's kind of where the reshuffle fell out. I think the public are happy Suella Braverman has gone. There's been lots of chat about whether she represents the silent majority on Twitter. And I think the, or X, I should say, sorry, Elon Musk. Um, and I think actually what the polling shows is that, no, the public aren't over overwhelmingly fans of her. But obviously, as you were saying, Kieran, she is, she clearly holds a, pivotal position within the Tory party and his voice in position and his voice in policies and positions which um, the Tories disproportionately hold around immigration etc. I think when you saw, I'll come to you Holly in a sec, I think when you saw um, our numbers doing the rounds on social media um, sort of earlier last week there were a lot of comments to that effect that, oh, you know, so-called silent majority, you know, not so much with uh, Suella Braverman. I do think, and maybe we'll come back to this in a minute, I do think we need to separate her popularity with some of the issues around immigration and votes and things, which are definitely things that motivate Conservative voters. Because I think to to assume that because people back her sacking that she's not particularly popular, that somehow means these other issues are unimportant is a leap people shouldn't make. But anyway, um, Holly, what, what were some of the things that stood out to you from the research? I think the timing of uh, the sacking last week was quite interesting to me. Um, I work on quite a lot of our immigration policy studies, and I obviously had Wednesday marked in the calendar as the decision for the Supreme Court ruling uh, on, on Rwanda. And we recently did some polling for our annual immigration tracker with British Futures that showed actually the highest levels of dissatisfaction with the government 
on immigration policy since we started running that tracker. And that's from 2015. So before the Brexit referendum, obviously, when we saw that immigration was a was a very high priority for significant proportions of the public. Um, so so the government's not got a great reputation in this space at the moment. And I think that's why you're right to separate out Swilla Bradman as the, per- the person from the policy area. It interested me as well that Conservative supporters, also a majority of them, were saying they're dissatisfied with the government on immigration policy. And in fact, we have seven in ten people overall telling us they don't trust the Conservatives to have the right policies on immigration. So aside from what you think on on Swella Braverman, whether it was right or wrong to sack her, whether she was doing a good or bad job personally and what her particular profile was saying for that um, for that job, the government at the moment is not seen to be uh, doing well by the public as a whole on immigration, but particularly their 2019 supporters who hold immigration in quite high stead as one of their priorities, they really weren't doing well. Um, On Rwanda specifically, we do ask a few key questions on what the public think of that policy. Um, And we do see across our tracker that more of the public are supportive of the policy in principle than not. But when you go on to ask them what you think is going to come out of the policy, a majority disagree that they think uh, the policy of, of sending asylum seekers to Rwanda is going to provide the taxpayer with value for money. And a majority also disagree that it's actually going to put people off uh, crossing the channel illegally to try and seek asylum. So what I would say are kind of two two of the key uh, things that the government put across on their cost-benefit analysis and on the reasons why they thought it was a good policy in terms of providing value for money and actually doing the thing that it says on the tin, i.e. stopping people coming here illegally, the public aren't convinced that it's going to do either of those two things. And therefore, it didn't surprise me that the Supreme Court agreed with the previous rulings of other courts um, that they thought the policy was was unlawful o- overall. Yeah, where does the Conservative Party go from here? Because I guess Sunak has made a bold decision in getting rid of Suella and the politics that she represents and has p- potentially angered some of his supporters. And I think that maybe, depending on what polling you're looking at, is starting to come through with some decreases in the Conservative voting share, but within margin of error. But the Reform UK is kind of creeping up in some polls. And then he's made this decision to bring back David Cameron. And I can kind of see he's pointing towards like competent government. Um, you might remember when things were stable, even though don't remember towards the end of that uh, when it started to fall apart. Um, <laughs> but I think he's going to have a job in winning those people back over if they have already gone and switched to Labour or the Lib Dems. I think bringing Cameron back, it's not necessarily going to be overnight. Oh, look, it's the it's the more competent Tory party again. Let's go and vote for them. What do you reckon the long-term game he's playing here, Kieran, or is hoping to achieve? Well, I think part of the problem with Rishi Sunak's changes recently is there doesn't seem to be a very obvious, consistent strategy or message. And it's very easy to criticise politicians and be the sort of armchair critic and all the rest of it. But we saw yesterday that um, Rishi Sunak announced another five pledges of sorts uh, for, for the long term. And when you looked at them, there was nothing in them that you would necessarily oppose. I mean, not everyone wants a, a world-class education uh, system, for example, or to back British businesses and, th- and so on and so forth. And I know that um, Sunak's team will argue that these are long-term pledges versus the, the ones that were um, uh, unveiled in January that are more sort of short-term for the year. But all of a sudden now you've got sort of 10 pledges and the best one in the world, no one's going to remember all of them. And I think you can have too many. They get a bit lost in the shuffle. And that's leaving aside the fact that you don't really want to announce new pledges that imply the old ones around 
the NHS and cost of living and immigration no longer counts, which I know obviously number 10 would say is it's far from the case. Um, but those are the issues that are top of our issues index right now. Uh, as I say, you want to avoid looking like you're moving past them. So I think when we talk about what Rishi Sunak's doing with David Cameron and, and uh, Rwanda policy and so on and so forth, in my head, it sort of is, gets framed in that way that I, there's not really a very consistent strategy. And when we look back at David Cameron in 2010 to 2015, there was constant, almost religious repetitiveness of this line, long-term economic plan that was almost shoehorned to everything that was said. Boris Johnson did it in 2019 with, uh, you know, get Brexit done. Um, and he, and he, people were laughing in debates when he kept saying it over and over again uh, and, and bringing the conversation back to it wherever possible. But there is a method in some of that, which is to sort of consistently, when, when people go out to vote or when people tune into the campaign, you, people have an idea of what you're about. And I think that's the bit that I, I'm struggling with as someone that watches politics every day to really understand what is Rishi Sulak's play here. You know, the, the Tories have been pretty good at looking like they're reinventing themselves every time they change leader, which, uh, let's be honest, has been a few times in the last couple of years. But um, it's harder to argue against Labour's accusation that you are 14 years of Conservative government that needs changing when you've just brought back the guy that was Prime Minister at the beginning of that sequence. So, honestly, I think as much as we talk on this podcast a lot about delivery being, you know, stop telling us what you're going to do, start doing it, I think that remains key. I think what the Tories really need to see in the new year is a bit more of a sense of, okay, what is the overarching message and with, with the two or three proof points to it, to use that sort of corporate speak. And you can see Labour are starting to do it, right, Kieran? You you mentioned one of their key ones just at the end there, like 14 years of Tory government. It's like they're pounding at home where the Conservatives used to do so well. You're hearing them saying, um, keep bringing back Liz Truss and uh, mucking up the economy, they're mentioning a lot. And they're doing that more and more kind of learning from those kind of Cameron New Labour years of like, let's pound the message home. Um, yeah, I mean, in the absence of any obvious narrative as to why, from the, from the government and from the Conservatives, as to why you should stick with them, um, that, that ch- time for change uh, narrative is going to be hard to push back on. And I think that's why it's difficult to understand the David Cameron decision, as you said, as a cohesive part of a strategy, because surely... Well, not surely, but you would imagine um, there are many people that remember him for lots of different reasons and bringing him back opens you up to the kind of own goal or possibility that people start to bring back up austerity at a time when the economy is is right at the top of our issues index and very much at the top of people's mind, as is the cost of living, that people also start talking about Brexit again, when I know we've said previously on this podcast we're unsure whether it would be too much of an issue um, in an upcoming general election. It's kind of fallen down the issues index. Not many people seem to be talking about it. Um, similarly, I know he previously said a few years back that he'd love to be foreign secretary at some point. And I think it was rumoured that it was William Hague that set this up, obviously, in, um, in Rishi Sunak's. He used to be in Rishi Sunak's seat in Richmond. So uh, I heard another political commentator talking about um, whether they think William Hague was actually asked first and then passed it on to David Cameron, but I guess that's something that none of us will ever know depending on when the conversation's happened. Our point is that there are a lot of things associated with David Cameron from when he was the Prime Minister and the extent to which people think he did a good or bad job on those things and what his legacy is might very much frame how people see the decision to bring him back and how much of a headache he could potentially be for certain swathes of voters um, running into the next election. I know we recently did some polling on how people 
um, perceived he had done on quite a lot of issues, including foreign policy. And um, they weren't the best of numbers, were they, um, Cameron, when we were looking through no. them when they came through? No. We have one in four saying he did a good job managing foreign affairs compared to 38% saying a bad job. And then just on some of the stuff you did pick up, Polly, we've got majority saying bad job. So 62% saying bad job managing the UK's relationship with the EU, 53% bad job on improving public services, 53% bad job managing the immigration. So it's not necessarily there, Rosalie, looking back at um, just half a decade ago and thinking, let's bring that back. At the same time, I do think if we could segue onto the autumn statement, where, how the Tories do at the next election is going to be primarily determined about the policies they set out between now and that election and what people think about the future rather than what they think about the past. Obviously, the past is important too because it frames how people think about the Tory party now. But I do think uh, some of the policies announced at the autumn statement and the budget of the spring are going to matter quite a lot. So but what do we think, uh, what are we expecting this week? What are we looking out for? Uh, maybe come to you, Cameron, first. I imagine some kind of tax cut. Um, I know it's been floated inheritance tax they're talking about cutting and I can imagine that would make quite a good link for them with the news last week about them meeting their inflation target of halving inflation. If they can tie that together in a neat bow and saying we halved inflation and now we've managed to cut this tax, everyone's happy. Look, we're on the right track. We shouldn't move. Um, but I do think they're going to have bigger problems landing and getting credit for cutting inflation. Um, particularly because even though inflation's halved, people will expect that mean prices go down, but actually there's still are increasing. So even though it's a good thing that they've halved it, I think that's going to be hard to translate into people when their everyday expenses are still going up. And we have seen in some polling, um, when we ask people, do you reckon inflation is um, increasing or decreasing or staying around the same? Despite the fact it is decreasing, people are still saying it's increasing. So I think that would be hard for them to land. Holly, were you going to come in there and add something? Yeah, I was just going to flag the fact that I, I started at the top of this podcast talking about the fact that they managed to keep the David Cameron thing a secret and didn't leak it. All I've heard over the past five days are pretty much every tax could potentially cut, get cut. So by the time we listen to the autumn statement, um, it'd be interesting to hear which one they plump for, given they've not necessarily um, said either way, particularly when Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, was doing his rounds over the weekend on TV. He was kind of... Um, just kind of letting people run with whichever one they chose to, to talk about. And inheritance tax was the first one that got mentioned. I think, crucially, um, how it's going to land with the public is very much going to depend on where, if there are tax cuts, and there might not be, but if there are tax cuts, do people see it helping them personally in the short slash long term? So people may be expecting that tax cuts will then be, re the money might then be reinvested into public spending and public services because... Uh, as you said earlier, Kieran, um, we've got really high levels of dissatisfaction amongst the public as a whole as to the state of public services currently. So if there are to be tax cuts, um, our polling tends to suggest that people would expect that money to be reinvested into public services. And if that doesn't turn out to be the case, I think it's a little bit trickier for them to claim the big win, as you said, Cameron, with halving inflation and delivering tax cuts to working people. The other thing I would say on this contextually, it'll be interesting how they frame it and how Labour in particular respond, given the fact that Labour's 
general response over the past few years has been that these tax cuts, if they do come, are against the backdrop of the highest tax burden we've had since records began post-World War II. So I would imagine their kind of uh, response to this will be regardless of whichever taxes Jeremy Hunt decides um, he's able to to implement off the back of that inflation um, target being met, which is what the Prime Minister's told us. Labour's argument will be, well, you guys have raised them to the highest levels that they've ever been anyway, so you're bringing them back down to a level that historically um, may not seem particularly impressive, particularly if people aren't feeling um, the generosity of those tax cuts in their personal pockets. I know um, Kieran's quite got, quite passionate about some tax polling we have. So, Kieran, if you were going into um, Jeremy Hunt, which tax would you be telling him to cut? I mean, whatever floats your boat, right? Um, yeah, I think I think the, ta- the, the the argument about tax is going to be so important for the next election, I think, because it feels to me like this is the one tangible card the Tories have left to play. And maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but I don't think it's much of one. Why do I say that? Well, I say that because on immigration, it's very difficult to see what action the Tories can take between now and that election that's going to make the people on the right that are really motivated and really concerned about that think that they've solved the issue. Probably the best thing, your best opportunity they'll have on immigration is to look like they're getting on top of it um, or to at least create a dividing line over some sort of policy prescription that, that they can use on the doorstep at that campaign. Tax cuts is slightly different because in theory, at least, you can do that at the stroke of a chancellor's pen. Now, there's obviously going to be Holly's right to raise the issue of public services and because people do want to feel reassured that the money's there. If anything, they want more money, uh, again, for things like the NHS and schools and, and different aspects of public services too. But at the same time, if you're if you're looking at the Conservatives' position at the moment and you say, okay, we know the cost of living and the economy are the, sort of the top issues, two of the top issues that people are concerned about, what are the levers the Conservatives can pull to potentially make people feel better off, or at least things are moving in the right direction going into election season. Now, you might take the view that there's literally nothing the Conservatives could do now because everything's baked in, that people are sick of them and it's time for a change. And I have some sympathy with the argument that that might be where the public is at. Um, But when we look at our polling on tax, we did some polling in July for The Economist, we asked about the fairness or unfairness of different taxes, but also what people would prioritise for cuts. Inheritance tax was seen as the most unfair uh, of all the taxes. Um, But when you ask people which they prioritise for cuts, it tends to be income taxes for uh, basic rate taxpayers, essentially, uh, uh, alongside things like um, council tax and VAT. And what's particularly interesting about 2019 Conservative voters is where they they do have differences of opinion from 2019 Labour voters, it's actually fuel duty over inheritance tax that they were more inclined to prioritise for cuts. So this does speak to this previous... um, uh, narrative that Rishi Sunak was 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 trying to develop around standing up for motorists. I I would wonder whether in the end it's fuel duty or something like that that they tend to look at either at this autumn statement or in the spring rather than inheritance tax because frankly yes it's absolutely true but I think there's an inherent unfairness assumed with the tax that I think means it would be a popular thing to cut but that's not going to make people feel better off uh, in the next six months. They really need some retail offers that are going to impact people right now otherwise you're just talking about things that people don't have faith that you'll actually deliver. At the moment look 
it might be that everything's finished, but right now I see tax as the only dividing line that I can see making a tangible impact on things uh, in, in the run up to next year. But what does everyone else think? Uh, last couple of words, uh, I think, to uh, I'm going to come to you, Holly, first, and then Cameron get the last word. If tax cuts do materialise tomorrow, what, if any, impact that will have on our kind of headline voting intention, um, the way that 2019 Conservative voters or switchers are particularly per- uh, perceiving the Conservative Party and whether it's going to win win them back, particularly given the other um, goings-on, shall we say, that we've discussed over this podcast in terms of reshuffles, uh, them losing various ministers that they may have been supporters of. And on the David Cameron thing, and it's not particularly a polling interest, but I'd just be interested to see what he's going to get up to over the next six months in the job, because it's something he, as I said earlier, he's been wanting to do for quite a few years. It's maybe not the best or easiest time to be coming in as foreign secretary, given Ukraine, the Middle East, China, I think could potentially be a tricky one for him, given his previous um, dealings when he was prime minister. So um, tax cuts, yes, in the immediate term I'm looking at, but I guess as my longer term uh, thing that I'm looking at, if we go in for Rishi Sunak's having a million different things to look at, um, how this all translates throughout the Christmas period and running into next year for dividing lines with Labour, I think is going to be very, very interesting in the polls. Cameron, what do you think? I think it's a fool's game to predict anything nowadays. Um <laughs> We keep getting surprised every other week. Um, so I think, yeah, you can't write the Conservatives off, so I don't think, because look what's happened over the past five or so years. Um, and let's see what will happen. Um, I do agree they need to... We have seen so many strategies being played out and switched out. They need to settle on one now and get the messaging tight on it and push that in the new year if there's going to be an election at some point next year. Um, but yeah. Don't rule anything out. So that's all we've got time for for this week's episode. Lots to talk about. I'm sure there'll be lots uh, lots coming in the next uh, weeks or so as we dissect the autumn statement and where the parties go from here. Who knows? We may even have another vote of uh, no confidence in a Conservative Prime Minister. It's been a while since we've had one, so uh, maybe we're due. Um, but until then, uh, thank you to my guests, Holly Day and Cameron Garrett. Always appreciate your guys' insight. Uh, and, and for the listener and viewer, thanks for watching and listening, and uh, we'll see you again next time. Thank you.